Everybody, welcome to New Life. All right. Yes, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff. It is a joy to serve this amazing church. You are sitting in right now one of one of four worship services, one of three different auditoriums that we have right now uh, that are all synchronized and live, hooked together. We have the main auditorium people that are here today, right? Right. We've got everybody that's down in the venue that's here today. I'm sure they're cheering for themselves just like you did. And then maybe we can both, the venue and the main auditorium, cheer for these last folks But uh, it's our New Life family that's worshiping with us out in North Platte right now. Come on, give it up for them. (laughs) So we believe believe that there's uh, there's power when we meet together. And so we are one church in multiple locations. If you'd like, if you're intrigued on how we do that, then you might also make a great volunteer in our tech team. So if that intrigues you, like, how do they do that? How is that live? HD, you know, live stream, the whole works. Um, then you need to talk, you need to come talk to us. Find, find somebody that's working in one of our booths. The booth here in the main auditorium is, they're sheltered away up here in a room. But if you're out in North Platte, go back and talk to them. Or maybe go down into the venue and talk to somebody that's down there as well. We'd love to have you on our team. Help us accomplish the mission and, uh, you know, get God's word proclaimed, not just in these places, but in the many more places that God might give us as opportunities to plant churches. So we are a church that's about proclaiming the, the name of Jesus, helping people understand what a relationship with God is all about so that we can strengthen your journey in Christ. Hey, today we are going to be wrapping something up. So what I want to do is I want to prepare you for that, that moment of like, um, like, man, that, that's really special. Hate to see it go kind of response. It's that response whenever you, you hear something, you're like, oh, right? Like you, you hear something, you're just like, oh, man, for real. So I want you to get ready. Get ready for a big response here, okay? Because today, today is the last sermon in the I Am Second series. Whoever applauded, tie their hands together with rubber bands. All right. So, yes. Oh, man. I mean, I could, I feel like we could do the I Am Second teaching series every single year, and it would never get old hearing stories about how Jesus is changing people. Amen? I hope that you're convinced by now that, uh, you know, man, I need to figure out how to live second so that Jesus can be first. If this is your first Sunday with us, I apologize that, you know, here we are talking about stuff that we haven't really shared with you. Um, If you would like to know more about the I Am Second campaign, this teaching series that we just went through, you can go to mynewlifechurch.com and you can actually watch all the past sermons from the last few weeks. I would encourage you to do it. I would highly encourage you to skip the guy that's standing up there, you know, in a shirt that's trying to look, you know, cooler than what he really is. And just skim past those things and go straight to the testimonies. Hear about the stories of people about how their lives have been changed and transformed by Christ. I guarantee you, you're going to be encouraged by that. So today we're going to be wrapping it up. We're going to bring it to a close. So here we go. All right. Have you ever, I know this sounds a little creepy, but have you ever stood and watched somebody in a public setting, like in a lobby or whatever, watch or look at themselves in a mirror? You ever watch that? 
right? I mean, I know it's creepy and you want to be the person that's looking but not looking all at the same time. Uh, but if you're in a public setting, I, I, I thought to myself what would be an awesome thing to do would have been to put mirrors in the lobbies of our auditoriums uh, just so that you had to walk in and go, wow, man, oh, let me fix that. Right, and then you could actually experience what I'm talking about. But when you're in a mirror and you're in a public place and you're standing there and you're kind of like, you're checking your clothes, you know, you might be checking your tie if that's what you got on, ladies. You might be like, you know, I don't know what you do with your skirt, but you might be doing that. <laughs> you know, you, you turn to the side and you're like, oh yeah, push that back in, you know. <laughs> Suck it in! <clears throat> Suck it in. You're in there doing one of these kind of things like, you know, when you, when you get to my age, you're like, looking in the mirror is that tight enough you just can't walk around like this you know like hey everybody how you doing you just gotta lose 10 pounds all right that's what it takes um but yeah you're checking i mean people will be in the mirror they're like checking their teeth like i got anything on my teeth is there anything and then when they check look and they look and no one's really watching then they do what all of us do and they go is anything in that nose Right? They want to make sure. Nobody wants a loose booger. I mean, come on, let's be real. Can we just be real for a moment? Nobody wants that. And you know, you've got friends that they're wondering if they should ever tell you about it. True friends tell other friends. I'm just saying. Don't let things hang off your friend's face. Tell them about it. They're going to love you. But yeah, we're, we're there. We're standing there. We're checking things out. We're trying to make sure that, you know, everything is like just the way we want it to be because we're, we're concerned about our reputation. We're concerned about our image. We want to make sure that we look the way that we want to be perceived. But have you ever been around someone who knows how to really stretch a story to make themselves actually look better than what the reality was in the story? You've been in one of those situations where you're like, hey, listen, I was with you, man. That's not the way it went down. That's not the way it went down, right? You, you screamed and you ran away. You didn't stand there like, hey, don't mess with me. You know, I mean, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. People that take stories and they stretch them to make themselves look better. Or what about the people that are like the, the one-up people? You know what I'm talking about with stories, the one-up people? It's the one where you're telling everybody about your kid and they're really not listening to your story. They're just getting ready to fire back with a story that they think is going to trump yours. You have to love people like that, don't you? And then you never invite them over to your house again, do you? It's the way it goes. You're like, you're a one-upper. It doesn't matter what I bring to the table. You want to one-up my story. Or, you know, have you ever been around someone who pushes everyone else down to make themselves look better? Why do we do these things? Why are these things in our society? Why are they in our culture? You know, because we care a lot about image and reputation. Image and reputation, though, has some massive consequences to it, and it goes way beyond our teenage years. In our adult years, when we still, when we still are trying to maintain our image and our reputation and trying to keep us at the center, then what it does for us many times is there's, there's massive amounts of debt that have to be acquired to make your image and your reputation look like what you want it to be in this culture and in this society. And for some of you, you are far, far too deep into debt because you're trying to maintain an image. Your house isn't the house you should be living in. You may not be driving the right type of car. The clothing that you wear has to have these certain little you know, symbols and icons on it, or otherwise it's not worthy. There's just this image that you're trying to portray. You know, if, we ever, if your friends go out, you're going out regardless of whether you have the money or not. You'll just throw down the, the, the credit card. Who cares if I got the cash? I might not even have it in my account. Who cares? I'll find it some way. I've got to maintain this image. 
That's one of the big reasons why we've got so much debt in our society, not just to mention the fact that people just don't know how to manage debt. Everyone's trying to maintain an image or a reputation. There's many others that are here today that are flat exhausted and actually feel depressed because you're, you've been trying to work so hard to maintain an image. And there's others of you that have really very shallow friendships. And if you were honest, you'd be able to tell me today, I I really don't have anybody in my life that that has a real deep relationship. And the reason for that could be, could be one of the reasons, is because you can't afford to let anybody get close to you because they'll find out the real you. there's, There's some massive amount of consequences that happen when... You care more about your image and your reputation. And the worst thing is this. Jesus can never be first if your image and your reputation are what matters most. It's either Jesus at the center or it's you at the center. And today, I want to take you on a journey of, and hopefully encourage you on how you can trust God with your image and your reputation. Because if you can do that, you can live as second. Jesus can live as first. So this is the last sermon in this teaching series. If any of this kind of stuff makes sense and you haven't been here for the rest of the week, please go back and listen to other very practical sermons on how Jesus can be first and you can live as second. I'm going to tell you today, that's the only way you're going to win in this world. It's the only way. There isn't any other way you're going to win. It's not going to happen any other way. And a guy, a guy in 2 Kings chapter 5 finds out that very same scenario. I want you to listen to this as one of our drama members portrays to you and me in a dramatized, paraphrased type fashion the, uh, a good portion of 2 Kings chapter 5. I want you to listen as he tells a story about a man that's on a journey. And I, as you listen, I want you to listen for how this man wrestles with his identity and his image and his reputation amongst his peers and with God. Listen up and then we'll, we'll jump in and we'll uh, talk in some practical ways. Take a listen. My name is Naaman. I am the captain of the army for the king of Aram. Unknowingly to me at the time, but through me, God gave victory to Aram. I am the commanding officer of the army and army. I am a great leader, and I am the highest ranking officer in that army. Through me, my men go into battle, and they go willingly, because they know I know what I'm doing, and they know that I will win. I'm held in the highest respect and the most honorable man in the eyes of my master. I would go to battle and I would die for him. But tragedy has struck me through this time. I've developed a slow and infectious disease. One that is progressing and is incurable. I have white spots beneath my skin that have become open sores. And large scabs have formed over these spots. I'm dying of leprosy. And I fear that someday I'm not to leave what I love because the very men I lead into battle will shun me. The very men that respect and they admire me. My story starts back when the Arameans had captured a young Israelite girl and she was held captive in Damascus. She later became the servant to my wife. Well, she knew about God and his power and how he used a prophet. And so she gave this information to my wife. And when I learned about this, I immediately went to my master. And he was so overjoyed that there possibly could be a cure for me. 
Well, immediately he wrote a letter to King Joram of Israel. And he asked that I could be cured of this disease. And he'd pay a handsome price for my, for my cure. So he sent with me ten, ten talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold. That's about $2.6 million in today's market. <laughs> I'm worth every ounce. And 10 sets of clothing fit for royalty just to see if I could have a cure. I can see it now, mule after mule loaded down with the gold and silver and clothing, and not to mention my horses and my men and my chariots, all going along just for my protection. Supplies and bedding enough for all of us and our servants. The caravan was quite a spectacle to behold. The dust that it created just as it went across the land. Well, we came upon King Joram, and he was acting a little paranoid. Okay, a lot paranoid. <laughs> he thought that Ben-Hadad had sent, him to me, sent me to him to start, to start a war with him. He knew that there was no cure for leprosy. He tore his robes, and he was shouting, Am I God? How am I able to cure you of your leprosy? You have come just to start a war. Well, you can imagine, I felt pretty sick to my stomach. I just wanted to go home and retreat. How could I think that I was going to be healed now? This long journey I took was just a waste of time. So this king was no prophet. How could I ever think of that? And that he could cure me of this ghastly, ravaging disease on my body. I wanted to go home, but something inside of me told me, wait here. In my thinking... I thought I just wanted to leave and not look back at this miserable place of rejection. But I learned through a messenger that there was a true prophet in Israel, and they call him Elisha. Now, Elisha had caught wind of this matter, and he questioned King Joram's fear and why he wasn't consulted on this. So Elisha convinced King Joram to have me sent to him so that I would know that there is a prophet in Israel. I don't think these two guys were getting along very well. So I gathered my horses and my chariots, and I was thinking, aha, finally, my pagan ways will pay off, and I'm going to get a cure that I so richly deserve. I was so excited, and I had a new hope. So I went to Elisha's house, and I knocked on the door, and I waited. I was so nervous, my legs were just shivering like noodles in hot water. <laughs> Did I tell you I was excited? <laughs> I was just waiting for him to come out. But Elisha didn't come out. He sent a servant. How could he do this to me? Does he know who I am? How dare he send a servant to do his work? I wanted to talk to the real prophet. Oh, I was so upset. I was so furious. But the messenger said, Go wash in the Jordan River seven times, and your flesh will be healed. The Jordan River, the murkiest water in the world? Why not the Syrian or the Farpar Rivers or the Golden River of the Greeks or the, or the Abana Rivers? They would do just as well. Oh, I was so upset. I thought Elisha would come out and call on his God, and he would just wave his hands over me, and I would be cured. Oh, I was so mad I could just spit nails. I couldn't understand why this happened. So I went away 
and I was ready to leave, and a servant came up to me. And he said, Master, wait, I need to talk to you. And he came and he bowed before me, and he spoke. He said, what is, if the prophet had told you to take a bottle of oil and go down the, to the doctor down the street and rub that all over your skin, wouldn't you have done that? What more would this be if you could just do this and dip yourself in the Jordan River to see if you'd be cleansed? All right, I said. I thought, what bravery of this slave or this servant to come up to me and approach me. Stupid, but brave. So I said I would, go, I would go and do it. But after this is over, I don't think that servant's going to be coming back with us. So I went to the Jordan River. I stuck my foot in the slime of the riverbank and then the next. I had a servant holding my arms so I could keep my balance. There was such a feeling of frustration and humiliation welling up inside of me. So I stood in the river bottom, and I dipped down the first time. Then I came up. <laughs> I knew it. Nothing. So I made sure that all of my servants were staying around me so that my men would not see me doing what I was doing. And I just dipped down a second time, and I came up. Still nothing. Well, I went down a third time. I was clenching my teeth, and I said, I am not a servant. The fourth time down I went. I was thinking to myself, boy, I hope this cures me. And the fifth time I was thinking to myself, I'm the master of my own army. Well, the sixth time I went down, I finally realized I'm not my own. Well, by the seventh time when I went down, I came back up. I held out my arms stretched. My body had been healed. I had been cured. My skin was that of a young boy. And my body was restored. But not only that, the greater thing is the gift of God's grace. I know now that there is one true God. I knew I was cured from my leprosy by God through Elisha. I asked Elisha if I could give him any gifts, but he said, no, I won't take any. I asked if I could take some soil back with me, though, so I could truly worship the one true God on Israelite soil because I lived in a heathen land. I believe now that it wasn't by Elisha's power. He's not the healer. But it was by God's divine grace and the word of his God, of our God. I am definitely a true believer now. I am Naaman. And I am definitely second. Great job, Pat. Thank you. Uh, I would definitely want to encourage you to uh, go back into your Bibles after today's message. Read 2 Kings chapter 5. There's many more things to glean from that. Plus, the ending of the story in in 2 Kings chapter 5 is incredible. It's going to be something you don't want to miss. So please go back and do that sometime today or maybe even sometime this week if you choose to use it as a source of study for yourself. Well, we're talking about how to trust God with your image and your reputation. You just heard from the scriptures that there's a man who's wrestling with this in many different ways. I don't know if you caught it all. So let's jump in. I want to help you understand that. And, uh, and we, we can apply some things from this man's life to our life so that Jesus can be first and we can be second. So if you want to trust God with your image and your reputation, then you have to put Jesus in the center of the attention. Jesus has to be the center 
of your attention. Like when you're out there in the world, you're drawing attention to who? You or him. That's what I mean. Jesus has to be at the center of what you're trying to draw attention to. Jesus has to be at the center of why you make decisions. Jesus must be at the center. Let me take it back to a passage of scripture here out of 2 Kings. This is, this is when Naaman actually arrives at the prophet Elisha's house. Um, and take a listen to, uh, to what happens. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now, when if you heard that, what did you just hear? You, I mean, just don't, you have to speak it out loud, but definitely speak it on the inside. Have a conversation with yourself for a moment, would you please? What did you just hear? I just heard a promise. You can be healed. That's what, that's what I heard. What did Naaman hear? But Naaman went away angry. Now, if you were just promised that you could be healed, why would you walk away angry? Unless something else is stirring on the inside. And he said, I thought that that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God. Maybe even wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, where I come from, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a what? Here's a man who is promised that you can be healed. But instead he gets angry and he walks off in a rage. So why would a man get angry, and walk off in a rage when he was just promised to be healed. If it, if it wasn't maybe for the fact that it's not happening the way he wanted it to. If maybe it's not happening in a way that's going to make him look good. Maybe it's not going down in a way that matches his reputation and his image. You know, just possibly, just maybe, he prepared his men and he said, guys, listen, I know. I know we went to the king of Israel and, you know, the king rejected us. You guys, come on. You guys know kings. Kings are fickle. You know, you never know what you're going to get out of these guys. It could be a bad day for them. It could be a good day for them. Maybe we just hit the king on a bad day. But, you know, thank the Lord, man, we've got this prophet. We're going to ride down there. Guys, listen, trust me. I'm going to get you back home to your families and to your kids. This is all going to go over pretty quick. I, I, here, I kind of picture it like I'm going to show up there. He's going to come out. He's going to do his abracadabra thing, wave his hands over me, and I'm going to be healed. We're going to hop back on our chariots and our horses, and then, bam, we're going to head on home. That's kind of how it's going to go. No wonder if that was your attitude. Like, I'm a, I am a commander of people. Do you know who I am? Like, just because I'm down here in this foreign land doesn't mean I'm giving up my image and my, and my reputation. I'm coming down here and I demand the same level. You know, I must be lifted up. You guys must praise me. It's about me. Naaman is upset because he's at the center. Not God. He wants to get healed on his terms. It, it's, like a, it's like a disease to a person that's ravaged with the understanding that they've got to somehow maintain this image and reputation in our culture. or Otherwise, they're not going to be respected or they're going to be rejected by friends. It's a, it's a disease to think that you, know, you get to do life on your terms. And then you see this man. I mean, he's just, he's torqued because the prophet doesn't give him the right amount of attention. Oh. The prophet won't come out and meet you face to face. 
And all he can think of is, what are my men going to think of me? So he gets angry and he's in a rage. Come on. We're just putting some real life to this. Put some real teeth to this kind of moment. But aren't you and me that way sometimes? Aren't we that way with God? God, we want more attention from you. You go and you meet with a spiritual leader. We didn't get the right kind of, we didn't get the right kind of attention from that spiritual leader. So off I go. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to go make it happen. I, you know, forget those guys. I'm going to go. Why? Because somehow it's offended your reputation. Somehow it's attacked your image that you think that you're better than that. Naaman definitely thought he was better than going and washing himself in a filthy, dirty little river called the Jordan River. I was just there earlier this year. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not, a, it's not the cleanest place on the planet. You know, you get down there in the river, you know, down a little ways in the river, and it's somewhat kind of narrow. It is dirty. It is filthy. Not the kind of place I want to step into either. So here he is. He's talked about this kind of stuff, and he's thinking to himself, what will my, what will my people think if I go and follow this crazy advice? And what if it doesn't happen? How will I look? Have you ever been in that place where you're challenged by God? You feel challenged to step it up a little bit in your Christianity, go share your faith with someone. Um, you're praying for someone and you, know, you just sense God's going, I want you to go and share the scripture with them or you know, go, go do this or go do that. And you instantly think to yourself, yeah, but what if I get out there and nothing happens? You know that's a classic excuse of, hey, don't, don't, don't forget about me. I mean, I care about how I'm perceived to others. And listen, I know that. You know, we're, we're not going to be able to completely eradicate that out, and nor should we. I mean, listen, I don't want a bunch of you guys running all over the place looking crazy because you just you walk around with the attitude of, I don't care what people think. That's not healthy either. It's when it comes to God. Is Jesus at the center, and are you caring more about his opinion than are you caring about man's opinion so what does Naaman do Naaman stomps off in an adult temper tantrum which I'm sure none of you do you don't have those right I mean those ended when we were toddlers we don't get these adult temper tantrums when things don't go our way or when we feel you know like we've got to be defensive and so what does he do he displays all this anger what's the anger trying to cover up the the fact that he feels like his reputation is under attack our, our adult temper tantrums are always to cover up something. Could it be that you're trying to cover up, like, you know, I'm ashamed at how I look right now, or I'm, I'm offended by how they treated me and how I'm now going to look in front of my spouse, or how I'm going to look in front of my coworkers, or how I'm going to look in front of whoever. Naaman's concern for his reputation almost caused him to miss his entire healing, though. Almost caused him to miss God completely. Why? Because Naaman was at the center, and when Naaman's at the center, it's going to be Naaman's way. When Jeff Baker's at the center, it's going to be Jeff Baker's way. When, put your name there, when you're at the center, it's going to be your way. So how do we live as second? Let Christ be first. We've got to put Jesus at the center. Because it has to be more about what Jesus' opinion of our next step is. It has to be more about what Jesus' opinion of what our next decision is. We have to care more about his opinion than we do anyone else's. So let me maybe suggest to you, start, in, start putting greater joy in simple obedience to God. The simple obedience, the simple things. You know, the loving people even when you don't feel like loving them. 
right? Forgiving people even when you don't feel like forgiving them. Doing the simple things. Coming down and kneeling in one of, our, one of the altars in front of any one of our auditoriums because you sense God stirring on your heart. Instead of, well, I can't go down there. What will people think? People will think my life's screwed up. People will think I'm broken. People will think I don't have it all together. The simple act of obedience allows you to walk straight into God's miraculous. You'll never find God's miraculous unless you're willing to do the simple act of obedience. May I also suggest to you this. Ask yourself the question, who am I living for? Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you I can tell you who you're living for if I spend enough time around you because you're more concerned about their opinion. And so your image and your reputation, the decisions that you make are trying to please them. So if you could just get honest with yourself for a minute and really say who's at the center because the evidence is already pointing to who's at the center and it's built around what image and reputation are you trying to defend. See, if God's at the center, then you're more concerned about pleasing him. Your image and your reputation are being built to please him and him alone. Oh, man. Let me just tell you this. When you put Jesus at the center and you're not the one there anymore, the load gets lighter, number one. But number two, you're going to experience so much more peace and joy in your life when you're living your life to please the audience of one, Christ, versus the audience of many. Wow. That's where Naaman was at. Let's put Christ at the, at the, at the, at the center. Then, then he can be first and you can be second. How about what else can we look at in trusting God with our reputation and with our image? Uh, let's look at this point as well. You've got to change when you're wrong. Now, don't get up and leave just yet. All right? Don't, don't just walk out of here. I, I got it. Nobody, number one, likes to admit that they are wrong. That's right. That's right. You know, none of us want to. It's embarrassing. It makes me look weak. It, it, you know, especially when you have invested into something for a really long period of time and then you have to admit you're wrong, whoa. There's people that are in relationships still for five years. They knew it was wrong year one, but they're still in it because they've got too much invested. Seriously? Some of you are in occupations and in business that you know you're not, you're not supposed to be in, but you're in it and you can't get out of it because it's like the, the spider web is too, it's too thick around you, keeping you there. And your reputation and your image are one of those things. So some of us are behaving certain ways and acting certain ways, but we know that it's wrong, but we're finding a hard time to break out of it. Why? Because what will people think about me? Image, reputation. That's the same place that Naaman finds himself. Look at the next scriptures. Says that Naaman's servants, remember, where, where did we just leave Naaman? And what kind of what kind of emotional state did we leave Naaman in? A rage. A rage. In a rage, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So, what does Naaman do? He went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. Wow. Naaman is in this state of rage. Have you ever, have you ever tried to 
correct someone or even suggest that maybe they need to go a different, a different route than what they're doing when they're in a state of rage or of anger? Isn't it always the best time to talk to them? Aren't they, aren't they always like just ready to understand what you're saying to them? Aren't they always like, please help me get out of this trap I've got myself in? No, that's not the way they are at all. They're just the opposite. It's like, hey, um, you, you know, can we uh, maybe, uh, can, can we just like maybe discuss what you're talking about? What? Like that. Right? You, you gently try to walk yourself into it and then they bite your head off. And here's this commander, this guy who was in charge. He calls the shots and in this fit of rage, his servant, his servant is the one that brings him back to the word of the prophet and says, Master, um, I think that you, and, and if I can build the backstory, I think that maybe, maybe you're a little torqued because the guy didn't come out to you. And I think you might have missed some of his words because some of his words are really powerful. His words were, you can be healed if you'll just go wash. Wow. I'm telling you right now, all of us need friends like that. All of us need people that can catch us at our weak moments, that can catch us in our emotional moments, and that can grab a hold of us and have the liberty, the freedom, and have earned the right to speak into our lives. All of us need those types of people. Where are you going to find those? Where are you going to find people that are going to keep you on a godly track when you are wanting to head off on a Jeff Baker track, on an earthly track? You're going to find that? You're going to find that, you know, just out there in the world? It's going to be a, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack, it seems like, in this world in which we live in. Are you going to find that just by coming here on a Sunday and sitting in a pew and shaking a couple of hands for 90 seconds and then walking out the door? Mm-hmm. That's going to be a difficult one as well. How are you going to find those kind of relationships? Let me suggest to you, you find those relationships in a life group. You find them when you meet with one another in each other's homes. We have a lot of life groups at this church. We believe in that model. We believe in empowering others that sit here right among you. And they lead these Bible studies. They lead these you know, fellowship groups. They lead these discipleship groups that happen in their homes. Some of them happen even here in classrooms uh, at the church. They utilize this place. But when you're in community with other people that are Christ-centered and you build relationships with them, they start becoming some some people that are better than family. They become a friend that can actually challenge you, hold you accountable, help you accomplish what you want to. Because in your heart, I know it was in Naaman's heart, he didn't travel all that distance to have this conflict with the prophet, did he? No, he traveled all that distance because he wanted to be healed. That's what was in his heart. But now his image and reputation are so, you know, just you know, flared up. He's so angry and mad and upset that he's been embarrassed that he's going to miss his own healing. We need people like that in our lives. We need people that will come along and they'll challenge us and tell us when we're wrong. Like if you and me were in a car together and we were traveling and I said, hey, listen, let's go on a little road trip and let's go from Kearney out to our North Platte uh, site. Let's go out there and visit Dave and visit the guys out there. And you drive and I'm, I'm going to ride in the passenger seat. And man, we kick, we, we drive out of the parking lot of the church and man, we just, we kick it off. 
You know, we've, we've got our, we, we pop open our rock star energy drinks because, man, we, we need that energy to get there. You know, you've got, you've got the tunes turned up and we're talking back and forth and we're just having a blast. And we get down to the interstates and you, you miss the on-ramp. Uh, because we're so, we're so talkative and you cross over the interstate and you, you don't really know what's going on because, man, we are engaged in this conversation and you turn on to the interstate on the off-ramp, headed the wrong direction. You fly down that ramp, you get on there and you're headed towards North Platte but on the wrong side of the interstate. And we're just talking it up, man. We're just having a good old time. I guarantee you, as soon as I've noticed that, I'm just going, stop the car! Rock stars flying all over the place. You know, stuff's happening. But I'm, I'm going to get... Now, if you turn to me and you say, what, man, you've never done this before? This is the best way to get to North Platte. I mean, this is awesome. Seriously. And by the way, what can I do? I'm committed to it. I can't get off this road. I'm committed to it. I'm bailing, man. I don't care. 100 miles an hour, I'm out of the car because you are headed to your death. That's just like our spiritual lives. You're in this road, you've made a wrong decision, you're traveling down it, it's going to lead to death, but you're like, I'm committed to it though. Seriously? Would you take your car and put it on the interstate and drive the opposite direction down the interstate? I hope not. Nor should you do it with your spiritual life. Heed, heed the wisdom of those that God's put in your life, that love you and have the foresight to look into your future and see that the destruction is coming. Heed it. Love it. Cherish it. May I suggest to you today that you would even pray this prayer. God, would you please put people in my life like that servant that Naaman had that were able to speak truth in a moment when he needed to hear it most and that changed his course of action so that he could find a healing. God, may you put those kind of people in my life so that I can find you over and over again in my own prideful striving of my image and my reputation, they don't get in my way and trip me up. God, would you put those kind of people in my life? Have you prayed that prayer lately? Most likely you haven't. It's not a prayer we often think about. Pray that prayer. God, put those kind of people in my life. The second thing with that though is take the actions that are required on your part to find those people. Pray about it. Ask God to lead you to them. But take the right action so that God can you know, help direct your steps to those types of people. Because you and me, we have blind spots as well. We make foolish decisions that must change like Naaman. But we also have blind spots. We have things that when you look into the mirror, you still can't see the back of your head. But the person that's watching you, they can see them. And you need people like that to come along and tell you, you know, I think you've made some decisions out of the blind spots of your life that need to change as well. Ultimately, if you're here today, you know, stop the insanity. Stop thinking that something's going to change and get better without you doing anything different. Today, come to an altar like this that's in front of all of our auditoriums. Humble yourself, kneel down at an altar like that and say, God, I repent I repent of the direction that I've been going. I repent, God, of putting me at the center. God, I repent of making decisions and just sticking with them in my own prideful sense. God, I repent for, this, for trying to live, to, to create an image 
and a reputation that the world would love. God, I repent of that. I wanna, I wanna live to create an image and a reputation that you would love. It's about repenting. And today we've got someone in our church that truly understands that. We've heard testimonies throughout this I Am Second series. You're gonna hear one last one from Kristen Furstenberg as she gets a chance to share with you who she was, what God has done and transformed in her life, and who she is today. Because she cares more about what God thinks than what the world thinks. Would you please give it up for one of your very own, Kristen Furstenberg. I grew up about 30 miles away from here in Overton. I had a very normal childhood, like most of you probably did. Um, In my early teens, I became more of a follower than a leader. And in that, um, I struggled with a lot of trauma um, and began to find solitude in in drugs and alcohol. Um, I figured if you couldn't remember that it happened, you could pretend like it never did. Um, And I led my life, um, it was led with alcohol for the next 15 years. Um, In my early 20s, I met somebody who was leading the same kind of lifestyle as I did. And later on, we ended up having um, two children who um, are wonderful, but neither one of us uh, were ready to give up that lifestyle. And we led that lifestyle for another seven years. Um, As the seven years came to an end, I started to realize that I wasn't happy where I was at, and in selfishness, I I left that relationship. Um, I started to drink a lot more because I had never experienced the whole bar hopping thing and whatnot, and um, I didn't care about the, the outcome, what might happen while I was out there doing those things. Um, in 2008, I got a DUI. Um, I was 30 years old, I believe, or almost there, and uh, I realized something needed to change. Um, I didn't know what at that time. Um, I continued to drink for about three months. Um, I quit drinking when my car wouldn't start one day. But I didn't know what had, had guided me to that final decision. Um, I'd been to church with my mom. She had led me, um, she had led me to Christ, and I, I'd come here, but I didn't really feel it. People raising their hands wasn't for me. I enjoyed the singing, but um, I just wasn't ready to give up um, to surrender to God yet. And uh, a year later, I uh, was in a really good relationship. Um, I hadn't drank in a year, but I was still incredibly dishonest um, at a job I was at. Um, I was IOUing my money, IOUing myself money, and uh, it all came to light because of a mistake I had made in the computer system, you know, trying to cover my tracks. And, and I had a boss that was willing to, you know, cover for me and, and come up with this wonderful story of where this money had went. And I'd went home that night and realized that I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Um, the Holy Spirit had come inside of me and, and made me realize that that's not the way to live, that I wasn't living um, a life for Christ. On that morning, I went to work knowing that I was probably going to lose my job. Well, I was going to lose my job as soon as I 
admitted what had happened, um, that I might lose this wonderful relationship that I was in, um, that I was going to lose a good-paying job that was supporting me and my two children. But I did it knowing that from that day forward, I didn't have to run my life anymore. I could be honest. Um, And I fell on my knees that morning, and I said, God, I surrender everything to you. I can't do this anymore for myself. Um, We were putting together the Oxford House at that point in time, and Stan and Cynthia Schmidt were there, and I knew that that's where I needed to go. And everyone prayed with me. And, you know, I was led to a job here at the daycare working with kids. Um, I was so scared to do that before. That's what I'd wanted to do since I was you know, very, very young. I was afraid if people found out my past that they wouldn't want me working with their kids. I know now that that was God's plan for me because I'm still there. Now I'm in the school systems and I can't imagine being anywhere else. So, um, moving on to, uh, to this past year, um, a year ago, my boys' dad um, died in a horrific accident. And I, it took me a couple months, but I realized that, wow, in 2009, God was doing a work in me. He was preparing me for Mike's death because if I was still living the same lifestyle that I'd been living, not only would my boys have lost their dad, but they wouldn't have a mom either, at least not one that was a part of their lives the way that she should be. And he brought Craig into my life. And so I said that God started that work. You know, he got me a job working with kids. That same year, Craig asked me to marry him. So I wasn't going to be a single income mother. We were going to be a family. And God was preparing the way for me um, by giving me all those things when I became honest and surrendered to him. And I was reminded last night when my daughter brought me a coloring book It was a Bible coloring book and activity book, and she's two, and she said she wanted me to read it, and the way that she says that is, she said, I want Jesus, and I thought, you know what, I want Jesus too, and um, within the hour, I got the call about doing this testimony, and I just have to remember that I need to surrender every day in the good and the bad so that I can continue this journey. My name is Kristen, and I am second. Stories. They just never get old, do they? Hearing about someone's journey and how Christ was right there in the middle of it all. I mean, to hear her full story that she shares with women in jail, um, you know, I've got the chance to hear part of it at times. And I'm just telling you right now, I mean, you just, you just skimmed the surface of a story that has so many pieces and moving parts to it that if you heard the full story, you would wonder to yourself, A, why maybe is she still alive? And, and B, you know, why does she really love God? So today, guys, you have a choice to make. Are you going to be like Naaman and go dip in the muddy river? Because it's when you go dip in the muddy river that he found his healing. Dipping in that muddy river. It was something that seemed foolish. It was something that didn't make any sense. But it was something that God was calling him to do. 
Don't look for the hocus pocus, abracadabra, wave your hands, speak your words moment. Because even in that moment, you might not find God. But when God says, go wash, now you've got an opportunity for your life to be transformed. I guarantee you today, God's saying to you, go wash. Wash away the cares and concerns of what the world thinks about you and put on a new self. Let Christ be first so that you care more about the opinion of others than you care about yourself. It's in that place that you're going to find God. It's when you go and you let, you let the Holy Spirit wash away that concern and that care and let him put on a concern and a care that you're, you're going to live more for, to please God with your image and reputation than anyone else. Today we've got a group of people in all three of our, our venues, all three of our locations today that are going to be baptized today. We've got about 13 people all across New Life that are going to stay like Naaman. You know what? Even in the sight of all the people that I love and I care about, I'm still going to walk into that water and I'm going to dip myself into that water and I'm going to proclaim that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and that he is the King of Kings and I'm not ashamed of him. And today you're going to hear from those people. So what I want you to do is stay seated in all three of our locations. I want to pray and then you're going to get a chance to hear their quick, fast Like, you know, they're like 30-second stories. And then we're going to move on to worship and into a time of baptism and celebration. Because here at New Life, when when people decide it's not about what the world cares about, but it's about what God cares about, we celebrate that. That's not a downer moment. That's an up moment. That's a moment when we applaud and we cheer. So you get ready for that today, all right? Stay where you're at. Let's pray. Father... Today, I, I am so grateful, Lord, for all that you have done in me and through me. Lord, may all the days of my life be lived to care more about what your image and what your reputation is that you have for me. Like, God, if you could draw it, if you could write it down on a piece of paper, what would it look like? Because I want to live my life for that more than I want to live my life for anything else. And Lord, I believe I'm praying on behalf of all that can hear me today at New Life. We want Jesus to be at the center of our lives. We want the Holy Spirit to adjust our course of action that when we've made a decision and it's wrong, God, may you send people around us and may you speak to us through your spirit because we want to live second so that you can be first. Jesus, have your way. Have your way in each of us. Just like the stories that we're going to hear from so many people about how they laid, they've laid down their agenda and they've said, God, I want to live for yours. They laid down their image and reputation and they said, I want to live it for you. Lord, we thank you for the life change you're doing in our church and we look forward to all that you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.